You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to the Weekly Review, an official RPS show where two generations converge around a mic'd up roundtable to discuss themes found in contemporary pop culture. Today, Ben, Mar, and myself, Johan, have been thinking about idols and false prophets. Humanity has historically progressed thanks to the leadership of visionary individuals or made-up characters, religious leaders, passionate scholars, athletic daredevils, pop stars, political advocates. But these days, anyone with a bit of social cachet can steer the attention and the contents of pockets towards ends that we question if they're worth the hullabaloo. Kanye West, Donald Trump, WeWork founders and fallen CEOs Adam and Rebecca Newman, Peter Saville, Anna Delvey, or that Tinder swindler whose name I can't bother repeating are some of the people on our minds. Our album of the week is none other than self-styled guru of self-deprecation and substance-stained romance, Father John Misty, a man known to ignite the fieriest passions amongst his global flock, which makes us wonder, do the young'uns still find this kind of maleness as sexy as the characters in the Bridgertons? Mar will certainly clarify what kind of juices quench her generation's thirst. All right. Excuse me, I made a mistake. I mentioned the name of um, Peter Saville, who is a wonderful graphic designer who designed the famous Unknown Pleasures cover for Joy Division's album. A lot of the Hacienda's um, look and aesthetic. I meant Jimmy Saville, the disgraced uh, radio personality. Uh, who's got a documentary about him on Netflix and he's part of this discussion about fallen idols, false prophets. Anyway, but first, remember when Mar told us about what it meant to be horny on Maine? She's going to remind us right now. Mar, please, for us boomers, what is horny on Maine? Yay, sex. <laughs> <laughs> sex. <laughs> Let's start with important stuff. Yeah. Um, How would every- you use it in a sentence? Yeah, I'm going to use it right now in a sentence okay. because... Last week or a few days ago or whenever, yeah, whenever. Um, <laughs> Time security, is not important yeah, journalism. Um, everybody was horny on Maine, meaning people on Twitter were way too thirsty. And I was like, what's going on? What am I missing? Why is everybody so horny on their main accounts mm-hmm. and not their like second secret um, lockdown accounts? Um the reason was people were devouring Bridgerton's new season, obviously. Ah, the Bridgerton's. Is that like the new uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, like porn for wine moms? Not, no, because this is exactly my point. It's not for <laughs> wine moms, it's for Gen Z. Okay. Because Bridgerton, um, they encapsulate exactly what sexy means to Gen Z people or generation or whatever you want to call it. It's Aha! Oh my god. Uh, so revelation. Yeah. Take down you, notes. If yeah. you want to see what the new sexy is, then watch Bridgerton's at least the new season. And well, for those who are wondering what is Bridgerton's, first of all, how dare you? Because you <laughs> should know uh, where do you live and how have you not watched it or at least know of it. But I'll explain. Um, in short, it's like a net. Well, it's not like a Netflix show. It is a Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Um, that basically is a soft porn Victorian era soap opera. So, 
you get, um, just so you get an idea of, of what the show is, um, one of the most popular moments the, the first season had was a five-minute sex marathon montage with staring the hot duke, because that's how they call it. The hot duke? Yeah, I don't that's even remember. That's literally what it's called. I don't remember. All right. It's the hot duke. And Daphne, who is uh, the other main character. So basically, spicy Victorian drama realness. That was the first season of the Bridgerton. It was very popular, blah, blah, blah. But now we have the second season, which um, now focuses on the brother... Um, Daphne's brother, um, because this um, actually the Bridgertons is like a, a a book series, and ah. and each book apparently follows like a a, a sibling of this family, mm -hmm. and now we follow the brother's story, and um, it's it's um, the brother was kind of depicted as a little bit stuck up um, in the first season, in, and in the second one we get to know him a little bit better. He's still very kind of cold but uh, he has like a, a an interior like a inside he's not like this cold person and we get to know him but the main thing is how he's trying to marry just like in the first season Daphne was now he it's his turn and and he's very interested in in this um girl who is the the main um, protagonist um but this girl has a sister and they have <sighs> Kind of attention. Hang on, does he and want to marry her because it'll mean he becomes more powerful through this marriage? Yeah, and, and he's, he's like from a well-off family and yeah. he has to marry someone who would be at, at the same level status yeah, like and stuff. Nobility. And, and the sister hears him talk about like how he is only interested in marrying someone who will be up to his level, not for love or anything like that, just like a, in a more business mindset. Mm -hmm. And the sister... Um, of the girl he's interested in gets really mad like oh no my sister wants to marry for love and and it's possible to marry for love and also have an interest but you have to marry for love blah 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 so th there's a tension there mm. and this season is even sexier and hornier than the last one uh -huh. and you may think how is that even possible if there was a five minute montage of like um Different sex scenes happening with five uh, minutes is a long time. Five minutes is a long on television. <laughs> is that, did it just feel like five minutes, or no, was it actually no, no. five minutes? It was, minutes? You it was it. quite a, a good montage. It didn't feel like okay, now it's getting too long. And and it's not the only sex scene. It was not that there was only one long sex scene. It, there was like I think I I read somewhere that there were in total like fifteen sex scenes happening throughout the the first season. Um, and you might think, how is how can you top that? Well, this season is sexless. And that's the horniest you can ever what do you get. Mean? Oh my sexless. god. There, there's there's no, no sex scenes, or at least not a. Um, not explicit. No, I think there's only one. I haven't gotten to that yet because I think it, it might happen in the last episode. Um, but there's no sex at all, no physical contact, no nothing. And, and that is sexy what Bridgerton gets right. Understanding that there's no better way to make the horniest TV show ever made than to make it sexless. And... Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm scratching my head. Uh, no, yeah. no, it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least if you want to appeal to a Gen Z audience. And that's not because Gen Z is like a prude um, generation that mm -hmm. cannot bear like explicit sex. I, I will explain um, why the new sexy is 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 not prude, but um, sexless mo momentum. Hmm. Um, even though to me it's kind of self-explanatory and to many people, but I, I will try to make my... <laughs> Please my explain point. it to me. I, I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> I'm making you like this. Uh, like, this is exactly the point. Ah. Like making a build-up, a very long build-up to You're something. You're teasing me yeah. here. You're <laughs> That's uh, exactly the whole point. <laughs> Um, you have to bear in mind, we're talking about a generation, Gen Z, that has grown up reading copious and healthy amounts of fan fiction uh -huh. on Wattpad and Tumblr, or Tumblr, or whatever you read it. Uh -huh. um, and I, I truly believe that there's no generation that has read as many erotica novels than this one, and this is the youngest generation, so I think, like, 
any grandma, anyone in their 40s has read more erotica novels than someone on their 20s by now. Like, <laughs> it, it's, we are well read on that aspect. So the, the brute thing is not the case here because ever since we learned how to read, we somehow stumbled upon erotica novels. So that's not the case. So we, uh, Gen Z knows a lot of, of this aspect. And if we say sexless um, is better, you have to listen. Um, I don't know how to explain the, the fanfic experience but um, to people who haven't lived it because uh -huh. it's something very specific. But I think this core memory that everyone who has been through the fanfic trenches kind of sums up um, what, what the fanfic experience was. And it's um, staying up like uh, until 3 a.m. or very long hours in the night reading like chapter number 64 of a fanfic just to get to the point where the two main characters kissed or something happened. You were at the edge of your bed or wherever you read your, mm -hmm. your fan fiction, like just reading like an insane person just because you the tension that build up, the, everything that happened on this fanfic and they got you reading and reading and reading because never <laughs> nothing happened ever. It was just build up tension all the time. And that got you like you wanted nothing more then the two characters just just they brush their hands by accident or or anything like the kiss felt like the most important event ever like there there was a tension that if you got the sex scene or or the whatever the the you break the tension in at the the beginning it's mm -hmm. It is sexy, obviously, because it's sex, but um, it's not the same. If you build up this immense tension, once you get, like, the smallest stuff, like, yeah. you have already been waiting for this, like, I don't know how to explain it. This is how to get the, the horniest TV show or, or, or novel or whatever you're going to write it. You have to, to build up the tension. And even if you don't end up resolving it, yeah. you have the audience crazy. Well, can can I ask a question? Right. Would this have worked if there hadn't been all the sex in season one? Does it only work, like, if they'd just come straight in with, with season two, would it still have been like, like this? Would it still have been really horny? Or did you need all the sex in season one so that you're like, okay, it's in the back of your head, this is going to be horny, and then it isn't? No, 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 no. I think it would definitely have worked. Like, right. I... I I I waited. I wanted to say this at the end, but I I think it's now an important time to say it. But people um, during the pandemic, I don't know why. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, because everyone went crazy. Um, I felt like there. I don't know if you were on that side of the internet, but on my Twitter at least, there was like a few weeks where where everyone was reposting, and and I saw it every single corner of the internet was the gif where I um, do you remember Pride and Prejudice with um, Kira Knightley yeah, yeah, yeah okay so there's a scene in which um, Mr. Darcy um, yeah. helps Lizzie um, get get on the, the carousel or whatever that she's going and and she he helps holds her holds her hand. her hand and and then once once he releases the camera points very close at his hand and he like stretches because he's so nervous. They got this minimal physical touch. Yeah. And this is the sexiest image ever. This is hardborn <laughs> for people who understand that this is how really what sexy really is. Because that stretch of the hand that you know he was thinking so much about the physical content of the hand of of someone he really really wants but is uh, is so nervous to interact with and and then getting so nervous that he his hand has like a physical reaction after the touch yeah. that's that's sexy Film and, magic yeah and Close everyone ups. was reposting everyone was mm, oh. uh, i don't know everyone went crazy over it, even though it's like been years um, since um, Pride and Prejudice came out, but it's such a, an important image. Everyone has this reference in their head. I feel like the the director of Bridgerton or the creator um, saw that everyone went so crazy over it and and decided to make like a whole season out of this um, essence that this gift has because it's not because of the the movie, even though it's very good. It's because of the essence of the gift, which is um, build up and resolve. 
attention. Uh-huh. And he decided, I'm going to make that. I'm going to give what the people want. And it's this. Uh-huh. And it, do, it helps that this cast is incredibly attractive. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they There's have, not a single sort of normal looking person. And the thing is, in the first season, there were also very pretty, both of them. But the, there was n- not that chemistry. Like, the chemistry wasn't as intense. And they both, um, the second season main characters, have an insane chemistry and it's unresolved. And this Ooh. gets everyone. Like, it's the it's the culmination of quintessential fanfic culture. Slow burn, enemies to lovers. I cannot stress this enough. This is what everyone loves, what everyone enemies wants. Enemies to lovers. Enemies to lovers. That arc over like eight yes. episodes or kind of thing. Yes. Oh, and then, yeah. And there's such a rage that gets confused with sexiness and everything and you want to scream at the TV and it, it's the best. It's the, it's the new one and the only sexiness ever. Like, this is sexy. Well, I read a lot of old books, right? I read a lot of 19th century books because I like them and I've recently been reading Les Miserables and mm. that is absolutely like this. Basically, the whole sort of romantic build-up between the two is they see each other in the park every day for six months. And, like, one day, like, she comes over and, like, a bit of her ankle is showing and he's too embarrassed and gets really angry. And they, another day, like, he sort of, like, notices she's wearing a different hat and she's like, oh, my God, she must be thinking of me. And, like, when they do eventually, like, touch hands, it's just it's just incredible. And I, I, I like I like this kind of thing. Yeah, well, it reminds me of uh, my, one of my favorite movies is In the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai actually pronounced Wang Jiawei and uh, it's uh, there's a moment it's, it's all these slow motion shots of, of the, these two um, adults who are in different relationships so you know they can't exactly um, express their love for each other but there is some, um, one of these moments where her hand just gently leans on his shoulder because he sat down and she's standing up and they're in a dinner table in his house and it is like, wow, one of those moments. It's I'm getting what you're saying about the carriage, no, mm-hmm. the, uh, Mr. Darcy and... Um, yeah. Emma? No, not Emma. Um, Lizzie. Lizzie. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's a, just a soft brush of the shoulder. It's not even a grip. It's like a soft brush and it's like, oh, there's so much emotion in there because you know that they want to, but they can't. And oh yeah, That's I'm all for sexier it. sexier than, yeah. for example, I was really hooked also on Pam and Tommy and there's like a lot of sex scenes yeah. in there. And I know they're not trying to make it sexy. It's more like a, a political cause kind of. Um, but that's... Um, that's the uh, seeing like playing out sex, it, it, like yeah, good for it. But it, uh, there you don't not you don't get the tension and the the wanting to scream at the TV. Like just two hands barely touching, confusion, a lot of misunderstandings, and oh, I I it, it, that's it's like, really. I think one of the really interesting things about this, right, is that Gen Z. Um, stroke younger people are kind of like the first generation who really react to things. So it's like, you know, when when you like see something you like, you might make your own gif out of it or make fan fiction or that mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, or and, and publish it online. And that's why um, I, th- I think this kind of thing works because if you don't do anything or if you don't explicitly show anything that's open, right, you can kind of like, like forge your own story. Is there a lot of fan fiction about the series in two of Bridgerton, or is fan fiction It's not gone? necessary because it's already a fanfic. Right. It's kind of, what if someone wrote a fanfic of uh, some Victorian drama that really doesn't have that much romance, so it's not Roman-driven, um, and, and that's what it feels. And I think one of the... The other thing that gets right, um, that Bridget, Bridget on season two gets right is um, knowing that um, they will appeal to this nostalgia for people who, when they were younger, read fanfic because Gen Z is already kind of old. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take that, Gen Z. <laughs> I, I mean, like, um, my Star Wars my, reference is not so funny now, are they? <laughs> a, lot, a, a big chunk out of and Gen Z are not teenagers anymore, so it's kind of you can already play into nostalgia, and 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 it's playing into the nostalgia of fan fiction, fan fiction, the culture of fan fiction, and giving it to them like openly. Because the other thing is, um, if you read fan fiction, you did it secretly. It was shameful. <laughs> you could not talk about that. Like that's. Like saying you were oh yesterday yes I watched this porn video like you don't go around saying that um 
So you wouldn't go around saying, yes, I read that One Direction fan fiction. Have you read the last um, episode where blah, blah, blah? You you had to stay quiet because it, it, it was shameful. Wait. And now it's kind It's everyone talks about it on Twitter. It's like, oh, guys, we all did it. Okay, we can talk about it now. We can make a show about it. Now we can all enjoy it together. It's mm. amazing. I once read fan fiction or slash fiction, as I believe mm -hmm. it's somewhere sometimes called, just because I was really interested in this. Um, <laughs> so the one I chose was uh, an episode in which Pete and um, Carl from the Liberty... I was going to say, Liberty, yeah, yeah, there was huge yeah, yeah. fan fiction about them. It it was not very romantic. Maybe I didn't choose a very, a very good... It was, it was gay porn, Asago. It was like, no, there was all this fan fiction about Carl, like, giving <laughs> it up the crack for Pete Doherty <laughs> after the gig in Paris and stuff. I remember Enemy covered it. That was like, th it was a huge thing, like this obsession that that generation had with the Libertines. It was, a lot of it was thanks to this fan fiction. Yeah. Apart from their records and their... But I associate, I associate it with, with a lot of those indie bands. Like I'm sure there's like Franz Ferdinand fan fiction. There's fan party. fiction for everything. Like, it's the internet. There's <laughs> everything. But yeah, I have to say, like, I'm I'm in in the defense of the fan fiction. It, it, I am all for it. But at the same time, there's a lot of genres of fan fiction. You can get the slow burn enemies to lovers, but there's a lot of very explicit ones. It's like, there's a whole range. I'm talking a specific one. And... It, disclaimer, I know there's a lot of um, toxic um, traits that have been um, perpetualized um, mm -hmm. by fan fiction. And I'm not saying that should keep going. I'm just talking about a specific part of fan fiction that was quite good. And I'm all for it. No, I, I'm, I'm with it as well, because uh, I, I think actually doing something and making something is always a good thing. Right, and I like the idea that you're sort of inspired by the story mm. that that didn't happen, or the story you'd like to see happen. You're like, well, sort of, I'll go, I'll go and write it, you know. And I think, um, you know, so long as you keep within certain bounds and I'm kind of like quite respectable about it, yeah. Or, or, or you know, then then it's good. I'm I'm in favour. Well, what what I'm interested in is uh, since today's talk is a little bit about how. Uh, people become idols to loads of other people or or become false prophets is sex is used a lot of the times is a key factor no they're having uh, apart from having a charisma also having a kind of sexiness that isn't obvious mm -hmm. this kind of um sapio sexiness or i don't know or that th this kind of charm that that makes people feel a certain desire to keep following these people and it might be something that's physical like a physical reaction like i don't know what it is but i just can't stop looking at this person this youtuber this person on instagram or some idol like i don't know osho no the guy from uh, osho the big the big <laughs> yeah. religious cult leader who who <laughs> famously a lot of the, the oh good lord we're not finding him sex. because he's sexy well, I, a I lot of people. Uh, yeah, well, the, he he isn't obviously sexy like Brad Pitt to certain to a certain kind of gaze, but a lot of his uh, preachings were uh, catharsis catharsis through sex, uh, and they would have these massive orgies in in according to well the documentary. I haven't read the books, but I've, I've seen the documentary Wild Wild Country, and a lot of the appeal of his followers was that you were able to. Um, yeah, uh, be cathartic through these wonderful sex orgies and scream, uh, primal scream therapy and all these kind of... Uh, Hang on, I've seen this documentary. It didn't end up well, did it? Oh, it didn't end up well. Right. But the guy was quite a... Uh, the, the women, the way... The, the ones who still follow him, even though they know all of the scandals and the money and the millions and... It's like Rasputin. He wasn't much of a looker. Rasputin. But he, Rasputin. Yeah, as another one who had this this special power and this this kind of uh, psychological dominance on the Tsarina and and the Tsar and everyone and 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 yeah, oh, they have to do a movie. He's at well, they have well that that should that would be a very interesting character to do a movie on, even though he's in the Kingsman, which is like. A, fan fiction in a way of historical events uh, um, a bit boring should we ever listen to Father John Misty yes because I'm, I'm having a trouble segueing into right this, <laughs> this is uh, Goodbye Mr. Blue this may be the last time last time I put on my shoes Mm. Go down to the corner and buy the damn cat the expensive food. 
That Turkish Angora's about the only thing left of me and you Early this morning, he started making sounds that say, Don't the last time come to... Everybody's talking about... Now, I, I'm not surprised Father John Misty keeps getting compared with Harry Nilsson. I mean, this is practically Harry Nilsson. Anyway, sometimes an idol doesn't have to necessarily be talented or good-looking or able to perform some incredible feat. Sometimes they are born with a natural panache, a charisma that takes them a long way. In the last 15 years, we've seen the rise of influencers and YouTubers who hog a lot of attention by just looking into the camera phones and editing incomplete sentences together in a way that sounds coherent and relatable. But in the world of music, sometimes you don't even have to be the best singer or musical performer. According to the writer Hans Laguna in his book about Julio Iglesias, the Spanish sing in the Spanish singer's case, enchanting is a higher power than actual musical talent. And we could argue that that is what Josh Tillman has been honing since he became the enigmatic Father John Misty, the artist who's made Chloe and the 20th Century, our album of the week. Um, what did you think of the music on this record, Ben? Um, the thing... I find Father John Misty quite hard to sort of take in a way because it's hard to know like who he is and what he does and it's hard to know like where the tongue is in the cheek and where it isn't and what's kind of a persona and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so like you have this song playing in the background which is actually quite a beautiful song I think however much yeah. it does sound like um, everybody's talking. Um, and it's about like the, the death of a cat apparently and the cat was the last thing keeping this this relationship together and you know that's that's quite a beautiful image quite a sad thing but like it kind of makes me think well is he sincere or is he just like yeah this death of a cat would be an interesting thing to do um and um you know i'll, I'll do it and that's kind of okay you can be like well that's art isn't it you know art you don't necessarily have to be feeling these emotions to write this book or do the song or, or make this film or, or whatever but i think the way in which he sort of brought it to the foreground it was quite clever the way he plays the, like these different characters and refers to his own name like there's a song about uh his own name coming to coming to the house uh what mm. josh tillman isn't it yeah um it, it just kind of makes me always think about it. I, I can't relax and listen to it because i'm always trying to think well what's actually what's actually kind of going on it's like if it came to me in the background um i would be um you know a lot more um maybe I'd accept it a lot more, you yeah. know, without without having to think too much about it. I and mean, you, you mentioned like Harry Nilsson's also very Randy Newman. Yeah. But they were real songwriters of craft. Um, and, but they were kind of sincere. Like, even if like, you know, uh, Randy Newman was making a song for a film, like a film and order, it kind of came across as, as sincere. Like some of the songs he did, like Toy Story, which is yeah. kind of like, you know, yeah. heartbreaking, you know. And I don't think for the... Uh, Father John Misty really kind of has that 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 kind of thing. Um, uh, for a, I, I don't know, like there's a song on this called Olvidado, which I just couldn't. It was horrible. It's like, oh, I liked it. Did you? I I actually hope that he. Well, even though like everyone's la a lot of critics are laughing at him, and I think he even kind of said something self-deprecating about the song, like, "Oh, I was very high when I made this," or something at the concert he gave at the Barbican in London recently. I thought it was very, it was quite charming. And I thought, I remember it reminded me of Nat King Cole when he made an, a record in Spanish, Cantando en Español, <laughs> con un acento. And I thought, damn it, Tillman could pull off a Bossa Nova Bolero album, like just like a little side whimsical album to just release unseriously or, you know, when, when people just drop it, like rappers when they do mixtapes, it's not an official album to be sold seriously, but it's a, an album that you can take into account, especially if you're a fan. I'd, I'd like it. I'd like that. I'd like. I, I'm. Well, I, I'm going to campaign for it. Let's start a GoFundMe. Father John Misty. We want to hear the the record in Spanish. The same thing I'm expecting from Alex Turner, who's also a little bit comparable in certain. Well, let me open that melon in a in a while. But but it's like it, it's a very it's like a big band jazz kind of yeah. thing, like very 1950s, which and is very Rufus Wainwrighty as well. Yeah. Who's always gone for that Hollywood kind of vaudeville uh, sing, um, what do you call it? Singing, um, uh, those kind of shows. The uh, What do you call them? Uh, musicals. Yeah, musicals. Oh. I'm trying to think of the name. Yeah, but yeah, those kind of 1940s Hollywood musicals kind of vibe, you know, the orchestra, the kind of arrangements. 
But I almost I, I get the impression like, like like he does everything with kind of some sincerity. Again with Father John Misty, I'm like, well, is he doing this just because he thinks it would be, you know, it would be good for his character? He thinks it's like a Father John Misty thing to do, or is he actually kind of feeling it? And again, that that maybe shouldn't matter, but like it's it's sort of the line between like he's a storyteller. There's kind of there's a line between actor and a storyteller and a musician. And like musicians can be storytellers. I mean, musicians can can be actors. But like, uh, I, I I sometimes feel I don't I don't know. I, I I don't like the feeling that it might almost be a joke on me. Yeah. You know, like it might almost be like, oh look, I've made this. I've made this like fifties big band jazz album. Like, oh, I like fifties big band jazz. Like, <laughs> I was joking. Like, because I'm Father John Misty. You know, and. Again, I've no idea what he's doing, but that's like that's sort of the persona he's built up. Well, I listened to that excru well, it's not that excruciating. That infamous interview he did on BBC Six with those two radio hosts who always trying to bring a bit of a comedy kind of energy to their interviews. And it was quite good, the interview. They 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 did very good research and stuff. But you could tell that he was a bit hungover or I don't know, from the comments, it's like he it was an early morning show and he'd played a gig that that night and he'd probably got carried away with it. Whatever. He was in he and and they kept asking him about this, about where does Josh Tillman end and Father and John Misty begin. Is it a character? And he was very defensive. It's like, look, why do you keep like trying to pinpoint this? It doesn't matter. You know, Father, it, Father John Misty is what it is. And uh, why do people always need to like certify? It's like, and he tried his career being Josh Tillman. I actually have the vinyl record of one of his albums wow. as Jay he, Tillman. He didn't sell many, I don't think. He didn't, uh, and they always, uh, critics always kind of say, yeah, it was just more of the same. You know, it was at a time when there was loads of sort of Americana, neo-folky kind of artists uh, in the indie world. Uh, it was just one more, you know. There, there was another Damien Hurado. It was another, uh, it was another Fleet Fox, you know. Um, and he'd also played drums in the Fleet Foxes, which were at the time when they were just breaking out and becoming massive. So I think it's kind of the way music has always worked, but especially nowadays, if you don't have a persona for journalists to talk about and become obsessed with, and the audience as well, it's like you just become another another CD on the shelf. And there's all this pressure. It's like Thetangana, you know, he's why is he the biggest star? It's not just because of his production and his music and because it's a music of his time. It's all these little publicity stunts. It's all this taking the persona. And now that there's so much social media outlets, it's not you don't just rely on having an interview on Jonathan Ross or on some primetime TV show just for a minute. You know, now you can constantly be hammering this persona. Lana Del Rey does it, who's who's also kind of like the female Father John Misty or he's the male Lana Del Rey. The, the, there's this persona. No, what was what's her real name? Lana Del Rey is... Uh, uh, Lizzie something? Lizzie, Lizzie something, Grant? Whatever. And, you know, she tried to become a pop star on her own name and stuff and no one was paying attention because she was just another pretty face with a good voice. Yeah, whatever. But it, once she hit that persona, Lana Del Rey, that, that old decadent Hollywood kind of thing going on, boom, that's when people became fascinated with her. Same with Father John Misty. All of a sudden, there's this mystique, and yes, and there's the tongue-in-cheek, and it's, it's half-joking, but but it's 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 not like he's wearing makeup and some kind of costume. It's like he's dressing in a way that's very grounded, it's very down-to-earth, it's sexy and stuff, and it reminds me a lot of what Julio Iglesias achieved. Because I'm reading this book about him, it, it's like it tied in because it's like... This is like when I compared everything to Daft Punk, isn't it? It's yes. Like, uh, 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 Daft bit. Punk, another example. Daft Punk are the perfect example. Once they became the robots, they became this timeless, incredible thing that people are fascinated with. The robots, the robots. It's like, hang on, everyone saw Guy Manuel and, and uh, Thomas Bangalter many times and we've got photos of them as young as like, yeah, these cool young teenage DJs, you know, but once they became the robots, they became something bigger. I always mention Batman, you know, but Bruce Wayne could kick ass and use his resources, but once he became this symbol to look up to, uh, you know, the lore. So it's it's kind of like you won't be able to make it in music nowadays if you or it, it definitely helps if you have this persona to fall back on. It's also a way for for journalists and and media to talk about you and the public. Rosalia, same. I know, right, right, right. Okay, Rosalia, like because there's a difference between a personality and a persona. Yeah, I think so. A lot of uh, like Rosalia, I wouldn't say has a persona as such. Yeah, but Motomami isn't the same Rosalia as the El Malquerer Rosalia or the Los Angeles Rosalia, you know? She's had a different kind of... No, I wouldn't say persona or personality, but a different character for each album. 
And it's always Margalera was yeah, one character. But Rosa- I don't think she sat down one day and she was like, right, I'm going to create Rosalia, you know, in the same no. way that he did with, with Father John Misty. Or but she's or- working at it and the same, no? Or may- or maybe she hasn't realized it yet or it's, it's, it's a lot easier for her to do it this way where she's Rosalia becoming you know, this empowered motomami, you know, who gets things done and rides motorcycles and kicks ass. But I think the biggest stars have personality rather than persona. I think it's a very rare quality. I and mean, we all have personalities, but like having a personality that big that you can that you can bring off. But just you're actually like that. If you know what I mean. Someone like but someone like Jay yeah. I think the thing you're getting wrong is oh. that <laughs> they are all personas and the ones that do it better at in per- impersonating this persona maybe because it's easier to them maybe because it's closer to how they actually are is the ones you believe they are like that because they're that good you think oh no they're like that it's not a persona and that's how you see within a same um job ones are doing a better job than the others because once you believe more than the others but their job is being an artist and and presenting and entertaining and they have to Mm -hmm. choose um being father john misty or being Freddie Mercury or being, but everyone has to put on like their job outfit, which yeah. is but, the but, being this kind of person. And maybe it's very close to how you actually are with your friends and your family, or maybe it's super far off. Yeah. But it's always your performance um, as an artist. True, but I, th- I think I think that's it. I think it's it's how far it's like. It feels someone like I don't know Freddie Mercury to, to give an example, or someone like Jay Z. It feels like they're just leaning into their personality. Yeah. You know, like it, it's it. You know, it's maybe it's not how they are every, every day, but you feel like it's just like that kind of like touch removed, or maybe their actual personality like boosted that much. Whereas like, like Lana Del Rey, I don't. I, I, I that feels quite con- like very constructed to me. Like yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know her, obviously. Maybe that is what she's like every day. But, like, I, you know, I don't think Father John Misty is like... The, Josh Tillman is like this every day. I don't think, like, Lizzie Grant is, is like this every day. Whereas I think, like, the really, really big stars are kind of like... Like, Beyonce, for example. Yeah, but look, every time Beyonce gives an interview, she's like a queen. She's like, she's always very well-spoken, very educated. You never, you'll never see Beyonce like, give me that box of fried chicken, boy! You know, like... <laughs> So, and and that probably... would also be like a persona, like <laughs> Cardi B's persona. Like maybe she is like that, but it's also Cardi B. In, in this book about Julio Iglesias, there's a point written about this, about uh, the, uh, he's, he quotes some writer from the 1400s or something who said, well, I'm, I'm getting it wrong, I'm paraphrasing badly, but it was something was talking about that most, it's what you're saying, Mark, like you may already have a charisma and stuff, but usually you work on it to... Uh, uh, impulse the, the the qualities you characterize yourself i like the concept of scene blocking in movies like if you point a camera into a giant space like this office out here there's a lot of detail but when you block it's like no you want to focus you want to focus on the hand touching the other person to tell the story in that moment right you block the scene same with artists they block everything they block the the they block everything out and only keep the details that define them Julio Iglesias, he practiced the perfection. He knew he wasn't the greatest singer. He didn't have the most powerful voice. So he worked on his whisper. And he worked on his, what, what the writer, what many vocal coaches call the, the vocal fry, which Britney Spears does perfectly at the beginning of One More Time. The, oh, baby, baby. Right? You well, got it good as well. Oh, yeah, it's because <laughs> it's early in the morning. I, I was try- I've, been do- I've been walking around like an idiot all day long after reading this book. I'm like, because uh, Julio Iglesias perfected the vocal fry. Uh, into the into the melodic kind of breezy kind of vocal like so this is me walking around the street and when you're doing this vocal exercise your mouth is not fully open it's just like this so people walk across me they don't know what the hell I'm doing and they're like what's wrong with this idiot catching flies with his mouth and I'm like um, and um, yeah uh, old Dirty Bastard had a, an incredible one on his album. 
sorry. Anyway, that's a vocal fry, according to vocal coaches. Um, where was I going with this? Um, yeah, um, I've lost it. <laughs> Ma, what do you think of uh, Father John Misty? I love him. <laughs> All right. Ah, this was my question. Does Gen Z find this kind of uh, lover man uh, still sexy in the post-Me Too era? This kind of like, oh yeah, I'm just like aloof and all the women are falling at my feet. I'm a, I'm a moja bragas, as like Julio Iglesias was. I, I really thought about it when I was listening to this album. Like, maybe I shouldn't like this man. Like, maybe he really is like a man. <laughs> but, then, but then I listened to the album and I was like, Oh, he's doing it so... He knows what he's doing. He's doing it for the delusional girlies out there, just like me. He knows what he's doing. He's setting a scene, and I'm here to act, because this is a, 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 an album, like, you went into a mindset, and, and a very easy one for me, which is delusion. And I and I could feel, like, this kind of song is just playing with my, like, this kind of essence in within the album, like... It's playing with my dead um, brain, making me think I'm in this, I don't know, kind of Hollywood movie or something. And and he knows everyone. I, there's an audience for that. Like, there's an audience for delusional girlies who will listen to this album when they need to, like, turn off their brains and, and think they're whatever else. Um, and, and I, yep, I cannot hate him even though he could be easily hated for Gen Z. Well, he's never really been, like, expressed... He's not been an example of, like, toxic masculinity with this, like, oh, you know, like, being a masculine idol like Julio Iglesias, who does get taken to... Uh, who You know, a lot of uh, female listeners find that kind of um, maleness a little bit, like, ah, casposo, no? Like, a little bit dated and stuff. But with Father John Misty, because he... I guess, first of all, because he made an entire album dedicated to his wife, I don't know if she still is his wife or his love. Uh, I love you, Honey Bear. It was entire. It was like a love letter to her. So it's like, oh, you know, he's a he's a rock star or whatever who's like, like trying to be adored, but at the same time he's super in love with his wife. You know, so it's like. But oh, it's there's a lot of albums dedicated to wives that are hated. Like the Chance the Rapper album that got him like cancelled was dedicated to his wife. Last um, Justin Bieber album, who was that was supposed to be about justice, that ended up being about Hailey Bieber was trash so he has something else that you cannot make an album dedicated to your wife and think oh everyone will love it because there's been cases yeah. that's been the, the end of a career so <laughs> well, he has no, something else well that, that that's another part of becoming an idol uh, a lot of Hollywood stars or musicians no, especially the female ones that's like don't tell the world that you have a, a, a boyfriend uh, now it's changed but don't don't because you always want to keep listeners hoping to like have a chance with you <laughs> kind of thing in the marketing departments that's what they think it's like you know be available but at the same time distant you know if but whereas if no i'm married or i have a husband or a wife it's like oh, okay then there's like you you lose a lot of the fan base what about in k-pop are they yeah. do they say they have no they, it, it's it's exactly what johan said they are not allowed because they fear um the fan base which is predominantly um female will not be as interested if they have um, partners and also I think because of a question of security because there's a level of um, obsession that maybe it would be dangerous for the partner to be like going around oh yeah maybe. for yeah, oh. yeah yeah like oh you're the, mm, that yeah, makes me sad yeah, <laughs> it's quite insane but uh, one thing I don't get about Father John Misty is who likes him you know like sometimes like <sighs> women <laughs> in general <laughs> the, okay. the kind of Lana that race stands are also I feel like yeah Father John Misty okay okay because I, I feel like I could, I could I could take like ten people and kind of know their music tastes and not be able to judge if they're gonna like Father John Misty or not because it seems to kind of cross over into lots of kind of different different things and actually that that that's that's quite interesting mm. um, maybe maybe one reason why I'm not so keen on him is because maybe and this is to my detriment I kind of wanted like really you know, get an understanding of people, know what they are, and like mm. be able to go. Oh, all right, Father John Misty, he's he's X. Yeah, and I can't do it because I don't I don't quite see what he is. Maybe that's because I haven't listened to him that much, or maybe because 
But as I say, that that's that's my problem rather than his. Well, if we were going to box him in, I mean, he does fall into the sort of West Coast Laurel Canyon kind of early 70s vibe of people like but Harry Nilsson. But that was very earnest. That kind of West Coast Laurel Canyon yeah. was really, really like, you know, going, living in... But sometimes you need drama. Like, yes, yeah. I know it's fake. Fantasy. I know you're not like a country kind of rocker weird dude. I know you don't live in the 20s century or whenever you're trying to set this album but i love the drama like yeah. theater kids the let's mood. play but isn't yeah. isn't there a moment when you're like okay i'm feeling sad so i want to hear someone singing about being sad i want to believe them yeah but then you don't put father john misty you put something else so you, it's for people who are delusional <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you need to be delusional yeah and and take it to the extreme like i i don't care if it's true or not i'm just make I like the fantasy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd fantasies. rather believe the the, the, the the fiction or the, the, the religious text than the, the scientific fact. No? Yeah. And this got this this got me thinking about all these all these idols, all these people we idolize uh nowadays. I mean, now in pop culture there's a lot of shows and documentaries about a lot of these characters. We mentioned Wild Wild Country, you know, how it wasn't just the old show. It was the the whole idea or that he was uh, all, all his values that he was um, um, preaching, shall we say? But then you've got I don't know cases. Uh, I've just been watching this show about we, the creator of We Work, the founder, CEO Adam Newman. And he becomes this kind of guru and it's like really cringy to watch because he's like revving up all these young people who work in WeWork. Like, yeah, come on, we're going to keep expanding and expanding. And with all these like promises of like a spiritual utopia, not exactly, but, you know, and his and his wife uh, played wonderfully by uh, Anna Hathaway, um, uh, Rebecca Newman. She's even worse because she's kind of like... a. Uh, tagging on to his big dreams so even though he's like expand expand like invest more money to keep if we want to keep growing and become and make more money we have to spend more money fair enough uh, that's a financial guru tip from him but she's like trying to bring in all this spirit fake spirituality into it like opening a school a different kind of education for a very hefty price all this kind of stuff and you can, it, is, is it fake it's not a bit harsh to say it's fake i mean we don't really know her and not fake but you know she's got the she's one of these people who's She's read all the books. She she went to India and she you know these these trust fund kids who spend a year in India and all of a sudden they come back like oh well the kind of people who would end up in Osho's temples uh, or around Father the world. John Misty gigs or Father John Misty gigs <laughs> <laughs> maybe like is it, oh, right sorry I've got to ask this is there a connection between Adam Newman and Father John Misty not not as in like an actual connection but as in like do you, do you see because you you've skipped from one to the other and I, I'm. Well, my skip was in the sense of these people who who are big dreamers and sometimes can be delusional end up dragging other delusional people around them. In the case of Father and John Misty, it's he's selling a, an illusion through his music. In the case of We Works, uh, Adam Newman, his illusion was well for capitalist gains really i mean all they wanted to do is just become more successful and more successful by opening and opening but it was his energy in these meetings you know when he'd be speaking to all these investors and especially one this japanese investor who's like the crazier you get the more i believe the more i want to invest in you right and uh it's cringy because a lot of people think oh may you know maybe my way of becoming successful is just thinking out of the box and just being super brash with my decisions and stuff and uh, in most of these cases it ends up badly um i'm forcing my segues here <laughs> but then i started watching the one on peter saville jimmy saville jimmy saville <laughs> damn it poor peter saville peter saville not peter saville the incredible graphic designer who as far as i know has not done anything bad no, he hasn't let's let's just say <laughs> he that hasn't. Lee, uh, <laughs> i can't put my fire in the hand for any man nowadays <laughs> uh, over certain age but uh jimmy saville uh, was a very famous radio personality TV presenter who did a lot of incredible charity work, right? And he'd be running marathons to raise money and he was opening hospitals left, right and center. He got uh, awarded and uh, um, he became a sir, what do you call it? He became a knight of the British Empire, you know, by Queen Elizabeth. He hung out with the royals, but he was a working class hero who came from nothing and uh, blah, blah, blah. But all of a sudden, when he died... And the man died 
think died as a hero, like in the British public, when he died, all these people came out saying they were abused by him. All these girls, underage, you know, they, and, and it was horrible, horrible, horrible. It's a horror story, really. So, and it's, um, and it's just incredible how it's like, wow, this guy, he was, he had this, this horrible hair, hairstyle, and, you know, he was a proper sort of bloke, you know, and, and you'd see him like kissing all these old ladies, you know, like, ah, oh, come on, love, give us a kiss, and being really charismatic. And, uh, and of course, you know, he died a hero because he opened hospitals and he took care of all the, all the main, but all of a sudden, the darkness behind it, I still haven't got to that point in the series, but it's amazing because it's like, wow, this is a three parts documentary. And the first part is like, they're trying to paint this, this dark picture of what's of this guy. But it's like, yeah, but all I see him is opening hospitals and like being super like funny and, and current and candid. And uh, all of a sudden, it's like, no, no, beware of false prophets. Why do you, why do you think these kind of series, like uh, Anna Delvey and Adam Newman, these kind of things, why do you think they've become so popular? Because there's a lot of them, and the the the, the Tinder swindler, the Tinder swindler, yeah. another one. Well, that, that's a dodgier case, but yeah, that's another thing. It's like how, I mean, if you got swindled by a guy who dresses so badly, you deserve to get swindled seriously. I mean, I'm gonna say it. Sorry, for, <laughs> sorry for the victims <laughs> who lost. Who gave you money? But seriously, it's like, come on, man! A guy like posting pictures on a on a private jet, dressing like really, really chuggy, really, really tacky, with like all these t typical brands like Dolce Gabbana and stuff. It's like, come on, girl! What, you know, get your get your get but your priorities a lot of right, the time, woman. Rich people have very bad taste, so I would fall for that. Like, oh yeah, yeah but it makes sense. You're rich because your taste is horrendous. But it's like new rich taste, nouveau riche, yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's like—the worst taste ever. But you know, Hogan shoes. Who the fuck wears Hogan shoes? But you know, shoes? you know how right. There's the thing that the, the the kind of emails that try to make you, um, like, give your bank account details. Yeah. Often they are deliberately badly spelt, and that is because the kind of people they want to like read the emails are the kind of people who are not going to notice Spanish but are not paying that, that much attention and maybe it's the same kind of thing like maybe he wanted people to think that he was this kind of nouveau riche person with, with no taste I haven't haven't seen it. I don't know yeah. the, the details oh no no no, yeah. no. He was... I think Ben's right mm, or from maybe, how I saw it no he maybe was he just... wasn't that intelligent but it would actually be a good move don't dress too well because if you appeal to the people who have that much attention for detail they will cut catch you faster than people who are into the new rich aesthetic yeah from the i i watched it and no it's not <laughs> the case the guy is just an ortera and uh, and the, the women who fell for him were just as badly tasted uh <laughs> poor women <laughs> poor women i know but it's like seriously girls i mean the, anyway but anna delvey is a good example of someone who 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 pretended to be rich very well you know, mm. by the the ex, the lavish spending and the and and being super crazy like Adam Newman. It's like the crazier I am and the more outlandish I am, I behave in public and in these meetings. The more these people are willing to invest in me because it's like, well, this person. And sometimes I think bankers, because they know that their risks aren't that high, it's like, yeah, we'll lend you forty million dollars. It doesn't matter. We'll we'll make it up somehow or the other, even if it fails. Like it's always a great way. I don't know how banking works, but I think it's, <laughs> it must be something like in that. It's like, look, if you're crazy enough to to get it this far, uh, we we can make educated calculations that you're gonna take it even further, and we're gonna be able to buy you out like they did. You know, kick you off the the board of direction and um, and own your company for less money than what you would have made it. But again, I ask, why are we so interested in these kind of people? Why is there these ra this rash? Because there's this kind of rags to riches, or this, the possibility of coming from no nothing, or from little means and becoming, no, you know, getting on the co cover of Forbes. Pe seeing people fail, because if that's what, if that was the case, you would watch like a Steve Jobs documentary from mm. nothing to something. Um, yes, Jeff Bezos, whatever. Um, because they are, they have been successful. But these cases is people who tried but really failed, and we love to see people fail. But they don't fail exactly because Adam Newman is—he sold he, he, him and Rebecca. They sold their their stake or whatever in the company for something like I don't know, eleven million or I don't know they, they, for a lot of money. No, add on a few notes to that. 11 million, 11 billion, I think. Yeah, something. Billion. Yeah, uh, well, uh, then it's, the, it's we love to see rich people getting scammed. E exactly. That, that's part of it. Yeah. 
also, as you say, um, Mar, it's also it makes you feel good. It's almost like the FOMO we have of not investing in in Bitcoin or or buy or, or understanding NFTs. It's like you kind of want to see people fail because you just don't believe you don't want to be the only idiot who didn't invest. And you see all your friends buying houses, and you're like, I'm still like looking at the prices of <laughs> beans. Do you know the weird thing is like I was talking to this uh, to you about this the other day. It's like I listened to the podcast, we, the WeWork podcast, and I absolutely yeah. loved it. We crashed. I think it's called. Yeah. And there's a WeWork just around the corner from from our office. Yeah. And every day, almost every day I walk past and I think, no way, you know. And it's like, I really, really, because it just seems like, how can this, this, this whole story seems so fantastic. Then you're there and then there's actually like that office there. And I'm like, how do you go into that office and work every day when like people have seen like the whole background of this kind of thing? Like, I be... know what you're talking about. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't connect the mm. points. Oh, oh my God, yeah. Well, the, the, the actual shared space company it is, is actually, it works. It's good. It's a, it's a, it's a co-working has become a very popular way of, especially for freelance professionals and stuff all over the world. And there was a, there is a little tiny part of what Rebecca was trying to sort of preach that, yeah, this is all about being together in a space and uh, make working not, you know, make it a fun experience, but it's, you know, it's one of those sort of uh, dark messages of capitalism. It's like, enjoy your work. Enjoy the fact that you're spending more hours in an office with strangers rather than at home with your family, watching your child grow and smile and say her first words. You know, it's all this kind of, it's all very capitalist, which is why beware of false idols. Kanye West, another example. I'm a Kanye West uh, fanatic I am and I am and, and, and I but I even though I've learned to question him because you know all of a sudden he was going on this religious path with his Sunday services and it all seemed really like yeah yeah it's like I do believe his 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 spirituality is legit but then in the recent months it's like well I guess I, I like this idol because he's imperfect and humanity is imperfect and it's like well he same as Will Smith he's got a right to mess up at his highest moment it's like we all do not as not as badly and not as spectacularly but you know i constantly mess it, mess up i don't know something uh, not on those levels look see i <laughs> dropped a bottle in the middle of a radio. i don't know i don't know where i'm going with it um so yeah there's something about uh, choosing your idols wisely amen to that and on <laughs> on that note i think we're gonna have to say goodbye aren't we yeah, well, with just enough time to listen to a little bit of the, the song that you've chosen to... Public Enemy, Prophets of Rage. You see where I'm coming from? Uh-huh. Aha, yeah. very well brought. Um, uh, tune in. Uh, uh, yeah, no, Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yeah, we're going on an Easter break. So enjoy these uh, days of relaxation. And uh, we'll see you next week. With vice, I hold the mic to vice, the with force, I keep it away, of course, away, of and course. I'm keeping Keep you from sleeping. sleeping, and on the stage I rage and I'm rolling, Roll and to the poor I pour in all my metaphors, and I'm bluffing, there's nothing that we ain't did before, we played the stage, the points made, you consider it done by the prophet the rage. What the people say? Yo, Griff, you and that's one step, you get to the east side, we got to kick for the east side, G. I roll with the punches so I survive, I'm trying to rock cause it keeps the crowd alive, crowd alive. I'm not Can you call?
that you're needing. A life vessel, your apostle, we have a reason why. Reason but why. you can the hate, that's why we're born to die. Born to Mandela, die. cell dweller, Thatcher, you can tell a tell the way for the prophet to rage. What will the people say? Estás escuchando Radio Primavera Sound. Proudly presented by Cooper. RPS. 